Amen. I'll give you a moment to find in your Bibles the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. If you're using the black uh, Bibles provided in the sanctuary, that's uh, page 790. And we're looking at Zephaniah chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 6. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting in verse 6. I'll give you a moment to find it, and then we'll stand together for the reading of God's Word. If you'll stand then with me with God's Word in your hand, uh, let's hear God's Word as it's read. Zephaniah 3, 6 through 10. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without a man, without an inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more eagerly, uh, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There once was a student, and if he was anything, he was diligent. He prided himself that he was a diligent student. He was on time. For every class, he completed every assignment, not just on time, but ahead of time. Uh, if, if he was told to write 10 pages, he would write 12. He was a diligent student who sought the respect of his fellow students and his teacher. And he bemoaned that he was surrounded by students who were anything but diligent. Uh, they were late for class. They talked during the lecture. Uh, they weren't even taking notes during the lecture. Um, they would turn in their assignments late and sort of beg for mercy. And, and the student was just in constant consternation thinking, what do I do here? Well, one day, uh, the teacher called all the students together and uh, called class to order, wiped off the whiteboard, which had the lesson plan for the day, just wiped it clean, and provided a piece of paper to each student. And it said simply, uh, write 10 pages on the following question. And the question was, um, how should I view my approach to studying? Or how should my approach to studying change? Who thought the diligent student. This was it. This was the moment when the rest of the class would give what's coming to them. Uh, you know, the student wasn't worried about his own paper. He wrote it in just a few minutes, right? Just wrote out what it means to be a diligent student uh, he just had to think of his own life, honestly, and just describe it. 
and he was the first to turn in his paper. He walked proudly up to the teacher. He sat down, twiddled his thumbs as the rest of the class struggled to write this paper. Uh, slowly, the other students did turn in the assignment, and, uh, and once all the assignments were in, the class was indeed uh, dismissed. The teacher stopped the diligent student uh, by the door and said, um, you know, I've been reading your paper. And the student thought, great, you know, I turned it in, and the teacher's going to tell me how good it is. And in your case, I need to make an exception. He's thinking, that's great, maybe uh, she'll use this as an example for the class next week. Um, no, I need you to sit back down and rewrite your paper. Uh, you spent 10 pages writing about your fellow students and their heart, and there isn't one honest word in this paper. Um, and, and she looked the student in the eye and said, you might not realize it, but I made this assignment for you. This assignment was for you, to reflect your own heart and your own approach to your studies. Christians, how often do we look at the world around us and, and bemoan what's happening, rightly so, by the way, uh, but how often does it sort of stop there? How often do we, do we look around and say, when is the world going to just catch up? Thinking that God's only purpose is that he will bring judgment one day. That is a purpose. We've seen this clearly in Zephaniah. But thinking that that's his only purpose. That God could only be working something that might lead to change out there, missing another purpose, even a key purpose, um, that God would be bringing even hardship and judgment around us. Why? Because he wants the heart of his people. He wants the heart of his people. The, the point of the message this morning is, is this. The title is, Wake Up, O Daughter of Zion. Wake up, O daughter of Zion. We're going to see that phrase later in verse 14 as we get into the, uh, the, uh, the joyful section of Zephaniah that we've been reading in our call to worship. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. And, and, and certainly the gospel will be here, the good news, but, but, but we need to be called to awaken, to see that what God is doing even out there is because he wants your heart and he wants all of it. Let's see what our text has to say about this. Uh, we'll look at the first point. The first point is that God brings judgment to awaken his people. To awaken his people. And we're going to see in the second point that God brings judgment uh, to gather the nations. We're going to look at these two purposes. And, and really, by way of summary, perhaps you've shown up today and you're jumping into verse 6 of chapter 3 of Zephaniah and you're thinking, what is happening? Uh, there's battlements and ruins and wastelands. And uh, Zephaniah 3.6 is probably not what you posted on Instagram in the last few weeks. It might be. Um, so you're probably thinking, what's going on? Um, just by way of summary, to bring us right up to the point that we're at in Zephaniah, um, we've really seen, um, especially in this middle section of Zephaniah, uh, especially chapter 2, now through halfway through chapter 3, in one sense, we could summarize by saying that God is laying out different purposes he has when he brings judgment on the nations. 
when he brings judgment on the nations. And these purposes were true then for Israel and Judah, true now. There's some, some differences of our historical setting, but we, we've seen, for instance, in the beginning of chapter 2, uh, that it, it, it is to bring condemnation and warning on the wicked nations. This is a purpose God has. He brings judgment to open the eyes of the nations, to say something I'm doing is wrong. Why am I not following the God who made me? Number two, to bring comfort to his people. Right? So there is a right sense in which we look at the world around us and we say, what is going on? And everything seems upside down. And there's a comfort in knowing that one day, at least on Judgment Day, and, and even in smaller ways in history, God is bringing his judgment. Uh, evil will not prevail forever. Uh, the first will be last and the last shall be first. There's comfort for God's people. But we've also seen that uh, he brings judgment on the nations to purify his people. To purify his people. Uh, we saw that uh, he lists all these foreign nations, but then he turns it right on Jerusalem at the beginning of chapter 3 and j- almost treats Jerusalem like just like one of the nations that's receiving the judgment of God in order to correct the corruption in her midst, in order to purify by his presence. We saw in verse 5, the Lord within her is righteous. That's the answer. That's what brings the purification is his presence with his people. Well, today we're going to look at these last two purposes, and, the, and it's really just the two points of the sermon, to awaken his people and to gather the nations. So that when God allows judgments and calamities to come upon people, all of these things are at play. And I don't want us to miss this morning uh, the purpose he has for your life and your heart in the midst of them. Look at his reasoning, starting in verse 6. Uh, he sort of summarizes what has been happening, this judgment on the nations. I have, I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins, I have laid waste their streets. Some of this judgment will be future and, and the day of the Lord, as we've talked about, but he's given such a visceral description that he's saying in light of this, um, and he keeps continuing, their cities have been made desolate without an inhabitant. But look at verse 7. If you said, well, God, why did you do this? Why did you bring desolations, or why will you bring desolations on the nations? You could rightly give the answers we just gave. Well, well to condemn the nations, or to comfort my people. Or... But here he gives this answer, verse 7. I said, surely you will fear me, and you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off, according to all that I have appointed against you. Do you see the logic here? I mean, God is speaking to his people. He's saying, I, I, I have brought and am bringing this judgment on the nations, but people of God don't miss that I'm doing it because I said, surely you will fear me. Surely you will accept correction. In other words, that's God's heart in, in bringing these calamities is that his people would have their eyes opened and that they would come to fear the Lord as they should. In other words, for the people of Judah at this time, having just gone through chapter 2 and talked about Philistia, their great enemy, or Moab, or Assyria, the key question for the people of God at this time uh, should not have been, when will Philistia just get what is coming to her? Or when will God establish his, his righteous rule and kingdom? I want to see it. But instead, what idols do I need to cast away? Where are those safe harbors of sin in my heart that need to be routed, made desolate, destroyed? But the tragic reality at the end of verse 7, 
The tragic reality is that we can miss this. God can seek to open his people's eyes and his people can miss it. Uh, Verse 7 at the the end there says, But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. All the more they were eager. In other words, people of God, I purpose these things, even these calamities, that your eyes would be opened, but some of you have shut your eyes. I said, I don't want to see it. I don't want to accept correction. I want to be just like the nations around me who do not see, who do not hear, who do not follow the Lord. That's the tragic reality. And and the tragic outcome is then that they will be cut off. Uh, This phrase has been used throughout Zephaniah. Uh, uh, Chapter 1, verse 3, I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. Or verse 4 of chapter 1, I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal. And here he says, I have cut off nations in verse 6. And then in verse 7 then, I I did this so that you would not be cut off. And yet the, the people have rejected. One commentator puts it this way, the people of Jerusalem lived according to their own plans and planned to live apart from God. Grace is offered but frivolously spurned, a sobering epitaph for the city of David. Making your own plans and ignoring God is a sure prescription for, destru- for destruction, whether living in the 6th century B.C. or the 21st century A.D. Friend, if you've come today and, and you're hearing these words of the Lord, uh, even these words of judgment, and hearing his purpose that he would open the eyes of his people, remember that he is writing to the people of Judah, uh, the people who would have said, we have the temple, I sacrifice when I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm following the law, I'm part of God's people. I, I would warn you, friend, if you've come today and you say, I grew up in the church, uh, I know the Bible pretty well, uh, at least better than sort of those people out there, uh, that this doesn't save you. This doesn't save you. This would not lead you to not be cut off one day or to face this Jesus on the day of judgment. What would save you is to repent and believe in the very Jesus that those scriptures you say you know point to. All of Jesus reminded us that all of it, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of it is about him, including Zephaniah chapter 3. When Jesus went to the cross, he took these very judgments that he's speaking of upon himself uh, for those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so don't have a false hope that uh, by sort of by proxy or being part of the church, uh, you're somehow safe. The people in the Old Testament were not. Uh, And yet, even then, even those experiencing judgment then could find salvation by placing their faith looking forward to the day of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would do the same today, friend. But look at his heart in the midst of this calamity. Really, God's heart for his people. Now, we're speaking of the remnant, those those people who would put their faith in him. Uh, His heart in the midst of it is, is really their heart. What does God want from his people who have ears to hear, as Jesus would say? If we look back on uh, chapter 3, verse 2, he longs that they would listen to his voice. Uh, Sorry, verse 2 of chapter 3. Verses 2 and 7, that they would accept his correction. Verse 2 again, that they would trust in him. 
Verse 2 again, that they would draw near to him. And then we see in verse 7 that they would fear him. And then we come to verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. Do you see, even in the midst of these judgments that are laying out, you, you, you see God's heart for his people. He wants them to listen to him, accept correction, trust him, fear him, draw near to him, wait for him, live a life before the face of God, love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the reason that he is bringing judgment on the nations that he's focusing on here. And so we need to be careful, people of God, that we don't simply look at what's happening out in the world and only think of when are they going to get what's coming to them. That's a piece of the picture. We, we do have in the Psalms prayers of what's called imprecation, where we pray that God would stay the hand of the wicked. But we're going to see in a minute that one of his purposes is also to gather the nations, right? Is, is to gather the nations And so he certainly stays the hand of the wicked, but he's also converting sinners to himself. If he saved us, he can certainly save them. One commentator puts it this way, the first thing to note is that this judgment on the nations is based on moral grounds. The nations will not be punished because they have, uh, the nations will be punished because they have sinned, not because they are not Israelite. Are you catching that? Even in the Old Testament, it wasn't, I am bringing judgment on the nations because they're not Israelites, but because they have sinned. It's the Deuteronomy 9-4 principle. Uh, We we looked at this uh, last week, that before they went into the land, God warned them, do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land, where it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Do you see how we could do the same today? Sort of like, when will the world get on my level? Forgetting that my level meant that I was just as wicked. That Christ died for me when I was yet an enemy of God, hating him, spurning him. He alone changed my heart. And what does he want to do now when I see these judgments happening? Another author, John Murray, says that self-humiliation is the starting point for finding deliverance in life in the midst of the calamities that we experience in this world, even on a national level. It can never start with, Lord, I thank you that I am not like this nation around me, but Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. The main questions that you should be asking are not, when will this political party be destroyed? Or when will Christians be on top of the ladder again? Or when will the wicked in our land get what's coming to them? But instead, am I listening to his voice? Yes, I know the world's not listening to his voice. God knows that too. And they'll be held to account if they don't repent. But that's not what we're asking. Am I listening to his voice? Truly listening? Coming to him for words of life? And correction, submitting my every thought captive to Christ, or am I just living my own way? Another question from this text Am I accepting his correction? Again, yes, I know you're surrounded by people who are not accepting his correction, who are spurning his laws, who are legislating wickedness, 
God sees, God knows. But what about you? Are you accepting correction? When God's word is preached or when you're reading it, are you finding areas, safe harbors for sin and exposing them, seeing them put to death? I know that you could list their sins without the blink of an eye. If I gave you a piece of paper now, you could list the sins of this world. But what sin in your life has the safest harbor? What sin would be the most painful if removed entirely today from your life? Hebrews 12, 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one that he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. And it also says that discipline, when we're experiencing it, is, it's not like we enjoy it. <laughs> it's a difficulty. It's a calamity. It can happen on a personal level. It can happen on a, a, on a global or national economic level. Hardship can befall us. And those who belong to Christ... It's not judgment, but it's discipline, if we receive it that way. I was meeting with a friend recently and and describing some difficulties that I was facing that sort of keep coming up, and and the friend, um, they're a good friend whom I trust. When you hear the quote, you might think, oh, wow, like maybe that wouldn't land right, but it landed right. He said, you realize that God has given you this as a gift, He has given this to you so that you would be his and not another's. Without this very difficulty you're describing, you might stray, but he has graciously given it to you, and it's not gone away. And I needed to hear that. These are the questions we should be asking. Another question, are you trusting in him? And in him alone? And in him alone... Uh, idolatry, as we've talked about, is not just the worship of false gods, uh, but it's, we'll talk about this tonight, uh, thinking of the Ten Commandments. Uh, some have called it a God plus fill-in-the-blank religion. That, oh, of course, I follow God and Jesus, just also comfort, uh, just also financial security. I mean, who doesn't? Oh, just also entertainment. Oh, just also self-reliance. I'm not giving up on God. He, he has the, the biggest place. But it's a God and fill in the blank. Are you trusting in Him? Are you drawing near to Him? Drawing near to Him truly, personally. Are you waiting for Him? Are you fearing Him? These are the kind of questions we should be asking. Always, but when we see difficulty in our own life or in the world around us, I hear this, people of God. God brings about judgment and calamity on the nations in order that He would have your heart as His own and none others, that you would cast off all idols, that you would serve Him and Him alone. My question for you today is Does He have your heart? All of it. Are you awake? And ready to hear. Can you see this purpose in God bringing judgment around you? Well, let's close on the thought of this second point. If, if God bring, brings judgment on the nations for the sake of his own people waking them up, he also brings judgment on the nations to gather the nations. And, and we're a product of this, are we not? Look at verses 8 and 9. 
uh, the tail end of, of verse 8 or middle way through. Uh, he says, My decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. So we have the judgment aspect. But, but watch the, his language in verse 9. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. You see, we start to break into this joyous section at the end of Zephaniah that he goes right from the judgment of the nations to the gathering of the nations. In other words, as God brings upon even the world around us calamity, he is calling his own to himself. How many of us can point to a testimony of, at least part of the testimony is that during a hard point in our life, that's when God opened our eyes to our need for him. We need to pray that that would be happening in the world around us. We need to remember God's heart like in Ezekiel 33, 11. He says, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Uh, these promises here of a, a people being gathered in that will be given a pure speech. Uh, he reaches as far as uh, Cush, which we talked about a few weeks ago, this south of Egypt, this faraway land, probably the average uh, person living in Judah wouldn't have much interaction or thought uh, to this land. He's, he's showing that this far-reaching nature, he's going to bring the peoples in. And we see this promise come to full fruition, or it's coming to full fruition in our midst as Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. You're hearing uh, the word of this Israelite rabbi here on the west coast of North America. It means that this promise is being fulfilled even in our day and will one day be fulfilled uh, as, as we see in the book of Revelation as this great multitude that's gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation uh, declaring uh, their praise of the lamb that was slain. As one commentator puts it, one can point to the historical demise and destruction of the foreign nations Zephaniah named, as well as the destructions Jerusalem has suffered. Meanwhile, God continues to build up a remnant from Jerusalem and the nations uh, prior to his final judgment. Theologically, we can echo, echo another author who says, judgment is not the final word. It is simply a means to bring the people of Judah and Jerusalem back to an uncorrupted devotion to Yahweh. That means we don't simply despair what we see happening around us, but we pray. Uh, we pray for our nation and all of the nations that do not bow a knee to King Jesus, that there would be many who would come to know him. That, that we would even see in our day a, a glorious aspect of the nations coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so you can see in the section of Zephaniah as we close here, God is doing many things in our day that he was doing then. He is confronting the wicked. He is comforting his people. He is cleansing his people, correcting them, awakening their hearts. And he is gathering the nations to himself. People of God, your God is working all of these things for your good, that you would be conformed to the image of Christ. And so stay awake, stay alert, walk humbly before your God. I sit poised and ready to say, here I am, Lord. 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, that it indeed cuts like a double-edged sword and yet is also a healing salve uh, to our wounds. And so I pray uh, that your word would not come back void today. I pray that uh, we would all put our faith fully in Jesus Christ and him alone. As we begin to approach the table of the Lord, I pray that uh, we would come with willing hearts, uh, ready to receive all that he has for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name.